0: I knew that that was something I needed to have in my life.
1: All right, like in your heart, which is. There good. are
0: clearing the house of information. None other than one of those very heroes.
1: So, for Those who don't know, I'd like you to take a couple of minutes. Are, are you originally from the Charleston area? And are you in South Carolina. here, raised here. Hey, well, my name's Alex. Um, yeah. <laughs> the team is when the Emmanuel seeks to spread uh, love and. Hello, world, and welcome back to Real Talk with Rajon when nothing's off limits. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you are here with me, and I appreciate that. I am your host, Rajon Lewis. Now, here on Real Talk with Rajon, everything's debatable, so on any given week, we could be discussing anything from sports to music to politics. You name it, we'll discuss it. Now, for those who are new to the show, Real Talk with Rajon has a goal of shining a light on the great things that are happening right here in the Low country. I know that we are in a And coming up on a very big election where everybody's talking about, you know, who we're going to vote for, who we voting for, Biden or Trump. That's everyone. Everyone's talking about Biden or Trump. But right here in the low country, we have very important electoral races. And even my people outside of the low country, your local elected officials make more of a a boots on the ground day to day change of what you want to see around your community. So we need to know who these people are. So I wanted to, before I even bring my guest on, I wanted to send a special shout out to every single political candidate out there right now. Um, You guys are really plugging away. Some of you have been uh, running for the last two years, um, going strong, and you're getting to the end of your race. And I'm, I'm proud of all of you. I'm proud of all the work that you're doing. I'm proud of all the things that I'm seeing. I'm proud of all the people that are using their platforms to talk to. These candidates who are are giving their blood, sweat, and tears to this thing. So I don't want anyone, anyone, anyone to be left out of this. If you have a voice, you need to make sure it's heard. If you have a platform, you need to make sure that people know who you are and what you represent. And with that being said, I want to bring on tonight's guest, very special young man, straight out of the area. He's, 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 he's an educator. He's He's been a superintendent. He's, he's done everything in education. And now he wants to be the next county council member for uh, Charleston County District 6. His name is Dr. Kylon Middleton. How'd I do? Excellent. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, sir.
0: Well, it's good to be here again.
1: All right. Um, So yes, yes, yes. For those who missed our first interview, make sure you go back and check. I think it was April or May I interviewed you the first time.
0: Somewhere in that ballpark. So
1: make sure y'all go back and check that one out. This is going to be dope too, though. All right. So Dr. Middleton, please introduce yourself to the audience for those who don't know you.
0: Yeah. So I'm Kylon Middleton, pastor of historic Mount Zion AME Church, downtown Charleston, right on the uh, campus of the College of Charleston, where I graduated. And um, I'm from Charleston. I'm a local. went to Meminger Elementary School, uh, Courtney Middle School, Burke High School. So all those Burkeites out there, you know, certainly we're standing in solidarity one with another. Left Burke, went to the College of Charleston, and then kept going from there. Uh, I had a bivocational uh, sort of pathway uh, in my life. I was um, pastoring at the age of 16. And then when I graduated from uh, high school at the age of 18, um, you know, I immediately started teaching school. I taught uh, at uh, Burke High School, and you know, went from there to uh, becoming an assistant principal, a principal, an assistant superintendent, and then superintendent. So, uh, I, my life has been extremely full and rich. I have a son who's a grad student at East Carolina University, okay. and I'm all about public service. So, today, um, you know, as we talked about in the primary, I'm still running hard uh, for this county council district six seat, because I think that we need strong moral leaders, uh, serving us in these elected positions.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's, let's start at the beginning. What made you want to get into education? Because I know you graduated early from high school. Um, and so what made you want to get into education straight out so early after graduating?
0: Yeah, I, I loved influencing, you know, the next generation. And although I was just eighteen, right? So how could I be right. influencing the next generation? And then I taught high school English, and I taught twelfth grade English. So I, mm-hmm. some of them were older than I was. So at the time, and so um, I went into education because I loved literature. Of course, I taught uh, high school English, and um, and so I thought that I could help you know, kind of make that alive, come alive for our uh, young people who uh, it, it was a credit that they needed and it should should be something that they could enjoy. You know, mm-hmm. reading comes the pathway to future success. Uh, I, I love being with uh, young people, you know, who are ambitious and, you know, their futures are bright. So I thought that I had something I could offer that could at least lift them, position them mm-hmm. and propel them into the world. And that's what I did for like 26 years, wow. um, you know, kind of working Uh, On that side, on the front lines, I call it, because when you're especially uh, in uh, I didn't, you know, you know, I I taught real students. (laughs) (laughs) not not just those that you find in textbooks, you know, who sit in desks and (laughs) in rows and bring their materials to class. I mean, I I, I taught real students uh, who had had real issues and and I was able to make a difference in their lives by being real with them and, and loving them and caring for them. And they felt that and they saw that. And as a result, they were educated.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Ryan. I'm going to mess with you. Um, so I, my questions, I, w- I want to ask you some questions, you know, first of all, thank you so much for sharing your, your experience as an educator. You went into education and you went on to to move to, sh- I think it was Charlotte, Columbia, Columbia, and you became a principal.
0: Well, I moved to Columbia, then I moved to Chapel Hill. So Chapel
1: Hill. That was it. Cause I remember North Carolina. And yes. that's when you became a superintendent. Yes. Talk a little bit about that before before we move into that other stuff.
0: Well, um, of course, when I recognized I was pastoring, and when I decided that I wanted to uh, be uh, in education, I knew that you know God gave me leadership uh, capabilities. So beyond the classroom, I thought that I could make a difference to, in a school setting. Uh, went on to UNC Chapel Hill and uh, got a master of school administration, and then uh, subsequently in an EDS and EDD at, in educational leadership to lead. Uh, systems and and certainly, you know, that then, you know, enabled me to move up uh, within districts and take leadership roles to include becoming a superintendent to steer the entire uh, district ship uh, in the right direction.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so, so after that, did you decide like after that, what, did you like continue with the educational thing or you're like, I've seen the mountaintop? When
0: I yeah. to uh, you know, education has become so political. And yeah. when you look at, um, you know, I was in North Carolina at the time, when you look at the nature of uh, uh, just the shifting tides in education, you know, teachers not necessarily uh, being paid they their worth. Uh, there were teachers being recruited from other states, and, you know, it became extremely uh, stressful. And the focus seemed to me to move be, move away from students we were focusing on testing and scores yeah. uh they started rating schools a b c d f they were, were rating teachers a b c d f they were rating the principals a d c b, a b c d f and uh i had enough years in the system i got a church in south carolina so i decided <laughs> i was done all right so, so now you're full-time ministry full time ministry yes and um and then doing everything else absolutely know. absolutely which brings us
1: which brings us to where we are right now as far as this um the the, elect, the election um why why did why throw your hat in the race to run for district 6
0: Yeah, so I live in District Six, and the issues that confront District Six and Charleston County are issues that I care about. So, uh, looking at you know just the local issues. So I I know you talked at the top of uh, at the top of this show uh, that there are individuals who you know concentrate on the top of the tickets, like the presidential elections and the senatorial elections, all of which are very important and those uh, very high-profile. Uh, up-ballot races, but it's the down-ballot races like county council and uh, the school board and and, and those who are running for soil and uh, water you know, those those conservation and or preservation um you know sort of positions that really affect us every day. Every day, yes. When I looked at, you know, being, you know, sort of mired in uh, and affected as a citizen by some of the issues like traffic and transportation, affordable housing issues, um, issues dealing with uh you know dealing with um, infrastructure and flooding. And I continue to, you know, be an outside agitator. I mean, Mm -hmm. you've seen me all over the place, you know, kind of fighting the power on these issues. And then one day I decided, I said, well, when I learned that the current county council person um, was retiring, I said, well, I'm going to run because, you know, I was not going to run against an incumbent, but I decided uh, that at that time I would throw my hat in the ring because I had something to offer. And I think you need to have a seat at the table in order to make positive change.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. How would you say that your um your background in education has uniquely prepared you to for this role? Yeah, so my
0: background in education and also as a pastor. So we can't discount you know being a pastor. I pastored large uh, churches and I've served in education in large settings. Uh, my smallest school had more than 2,000 students and so I'm, I'm used to managing uh, large systems or large organizations and enabling um, me to have skill sets that are very diverse. Uh, working with public safety officers or school resource officers working with uh, um, with, with, with you know a school is almost our, our school district. It's almost like a mini city. And so you have all of the issues uh, that you would have in a neighborhood or all of the issues that you would have in a city or in a county you have in a school. And so you're, you're balancing budgets. You're, you're dealing with, um, you know, with constituent services, keep, keeping parents happy, keeping uh, stakeholders happy, uh, educating, you know, young people, uh, dealing with teachers and, uh, and support staff persons to make certain that, you know, they have everything that they need uh, so that the climate and culture of the school uh, is progressive moving forward. And so all of those skill sets, those leadership skill sets prepare me uh, on the policy side, you know, crafting policies, shaping policies, um, creating, you know, a a winning culture uh, of success, you know, all of those things uh, I can translate, you know, to uh, the county council seat, uh, the tough issues that face not not only the district, but also county council.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. What would you say are the top issues that are currently um, affecting Charleston County um, and what what in your platform will help you to, to, to fix some of those issues?
0: Yeah. So affordable housing is a big issue. I mean, people who live and individuals who work here can't afford uh, or people who work here and, you know, they can't afford to live here. When we look at the skyrocketing um, prices of um Rent and mortgages in this area—it's a—it's a booming area, uh, and that has a—that's you know has a plus and a minus. So when you look at you know the the, the development, uh, it is not necessarily friendly to those who are low income or those who are workforce uh, sort of um, you know. Me, middle-class type uh, individuals on the lower end of that. And so uh, that's a big issue, certainly on the ballot as well uh, is a referendum, a two-part referendum dealing with affordable housing, but in the city of Charleston. So, you know, that's one of my, you know, sort of platform items uh, that um, I'm going to help, you know, deal with this affordable housing, a crisis that we're having in Charleston County. I'm on the housing commission uh, for the city of Charleston. So the city of Charleston is an example of how you can embed and structure because the city of Charleston, no one can afford to live there. And so in order to uh, sort of bring you know, press the reset button and the pause button, the, the housing commission, along with the mayor and city council and uh, other leaders in and around the city government uh, decided that, you know, we have to embed affordability uh, in the structure of development because otherwise individuals are, are going to be driving from Orangeburg uh, yeah. to, come into, uh, to work in Charleston because they can't afford now to live in North Charleston, can't afford very soon to live in Goose Creek or Somerville or all of these communities as as this development uh, sprawl of development continues, uh, it continues to then create pockets of gentrification and pricing out, uh, you know, driving up the uh, markets in those areas, pricing out uh, uh, affordable rent and that sort of thing. So the city of Charleston embedded within its own uh, structure an affordability index. And so everything that is being built has to also include you know, in affordable housing, and so that's a strategic thing to do. It's not necessarily always a profitable thing to do because when people are developing, they're looking at making as much money as they can, and so um, so that becomes a model. I've been working with that and uh, on that for four years, and so that becomes a model that we can take to the county. Now, the county did not have to, county council did not have to, uh, you know, launch a referendum in order to, you know put the question of affordability uh, on a ballot, they could have made that decision themselves just like the city of Charleston did. Uh, But they put it up for a referendum. I believe it's gonna overwhelmingly uh, pass. And as a result, now we have an opportunity to make certain uh, that there's a housing trust so that when, you know, all of this development and sprawls continue in and around the county, Mount Pleasant, where else can you go? Uh, North Charleston, uh, where else can you go? Bedroom communities like Ladson, you know, there's a part of Charleston County that's uh, Ladson, part of Charleston County, that's Somerville, part of Charleston County, all of Lincolnville. Those communities become the next, you know, frontier, because, I mean, where else can, you know, some of these developments go, except now they're going out into the Outer lying areas. So now with this uh affordable uh housing trust, we will be able to, to leverage uh those areas and, and not not those areas particularly, but level areas where we can uh embed affordable housing so that individuals don't have to be pushed uh out of this region in order to live and thrive where they live.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. That that's very good on um, affordable housing for sure. Um, question so i know that a lot of people have been talking about the issues like uh in and you know economics you know economics you need money to be able to do things and you talked about you know being able to afford to live in charleston uh do maybe some people don't know maybe i need a clarification as well is uh the uh the mandatory minimum wage is that something that charleston county could have any say so in um in the state of south carolina
0: right so yes any municipality can then raise. So, so there's a federal minimum wage, you know, and we know that that's not even a livable wage. Right. So we've been, i personally, and when I say we, organizations in which I'm a part of, you know, like the Charleston Area Justice Ministries, um, you know, the Poor People's Campaign, uh, and, the, you know, we had the Moral Revival with William Barber right here at my church, Mount Zion. Uh, we're fighting for 15. Because fifteen dollars seems to be, you know, is still not enough. But that that gets individuals above the poverty index. And so when we look at uh, individuals who are hourly workers, they have to work ten jobs in order to be able, and just like I just mentioned a, mi- a minute ago, to pay rent, uh, to be able to also, you know, pay their bills like light bill, water, gas, whatever the additional bills. And when you have children, uh, to even even be able to meet the needs of those children. So yes, individual municipalities, can then you know create ordinances and/or laws? The state can do it. Uh, the state, there is no state minimum wage, so so there is a real moral imperative in South Carolina uh, for leaders to stand up and demand it. There is no way. I don't know if my son is 24 years old and he cannot live off of a minimum wage, right. and so we have to we have to come to a place where we demand because most individuals who are then affected by this are individuals who look like me, who look like you. Uh, right. you know, and so we we have to uh, raise that because and Joe Biden is talking about that. And certainly I'm not, you know, I'm, I voted for Joe Biden, so I may as well say it. You know do what you do. So, yeah. And so he's pushing to raise that federally. And, and then that will, you know, if the federal minimum wage rises, it'll trickle down to uh, those yeah. jobs And so but definitely we don't have to wait for the federal uh, level to do that. We can do that locally. Yes. And that's why I wanted to make
1: sure I asked that question, because, again, I think it's important that people understand the power of local yes. offices. Um, a lot of times, you know, we get so caught up in, oh, the election, the election, the election. But we have the responsibility as, you know, uh, community stakeholders and as, as constituents to hold our elected officials feet to the fire. And that's one of the things if we say that's something we want. Then we as the people must push for that kind of thing. Um, and I want to I see uh Pastor Dixon in the in the comment section. I want to yeah. shout him out because I know the fight for 15 is something that he's very, very yeah. uh, uh, very uh you know ardent about as well is, is me making- he, he and i are
0: on the front lines he's, he's my partner in that
1: <laughs> absolutely absolutely um let's talk about industry um a lot of industries come to the you know to the area um recently do you feel like the industries that have come are paying paying their fair, their fair share to make sure that the people that the schools and that the um that the recipients of the tax money can benefit um the people who need it the most?
0: So, again, we have to look, you know, municipality by municipality, because, again, when we're attracting these industry to various areas, the various uh, county councils or the various councils, meaning city uh, councils or town councils, uh, negotiate with those industry exactly what they are going to give and or what they're going to take. Mm -hmm. Personally, especially working uh, in the city of Charleston on the Housing uh, Commission, uh, we have, you know insisted and demanded uh, that there be parity. So if if you're building a development, then there should be parks or somehow, you know, the developer should then embed, you know, green uh, spaces that would be, you know, afforded to the residents so that they can have a space or a place, you know, the children can, you know, congregate and play and and that sort of thing where they can really, you know, have good lives and uh, fire stations, equidistant or whatever. So all of those things are planned and all of those things should be uh, demanded from developers. If we're giving you the opportunity to come and develop in our area, instead of creating, Concrete jungles. What else can you put in this community? What else can you give? And, and many of them, and we've seen this nationally, or you know, even uh, on the. Uh, larger level with uh, Trump and and these individuals who pay no taxes as business people, they love that. They love these corporate loopholes where, whereby they can come and and they can they can dig and drill and build uh, big and and tall in in areas and give nothing to the communities and they can walk out profiting and they have left not even uh, revenue uh, on the table for those communities. And so uh, I think that you know it would become incumbent upon us as we're moving forward to make certain that we have um these businesses or these developers have skin in the community yes, game. Absolutely and so that when when they're developing something, the community also gets something tangible, something resourceful, something needed <laughs> that um that will make that community uh livable, you know, forever ever uh, for as long as it's there. Absolutely. Thank you, and thank you. And I know
1: we, one. I, I want to make sure people understand. I don't send my questions in advance. Um, I I like to let the I like to let the conversation flow. So you know, I I appreciate your willingness to answer these questions because again, I did not ask these questions in advance. Right. Um, I do want to ask you about this question. Um, District Six. I'm not sure if District Six encompasses this area, but there's a a, a large swath of Rivers Avenue that's a food desert. Yeah. Um. It, it it it's it's um. It, In my opinion, you know, I'm from North Charleston, so I have a a great affinity for the city of North Charleston. Um, Mr. Uh, Hezekiah Grice, I'm going to use his comment just just to uh, preface it. He says, "There's a there's there's five liquor stores in a three mile uh, radius, but not one grocery store. What can we do to make sure that stuff like that doesn't happen, where there are more grocery stores and uh, more uh, liquor stores in a a three mile radius than grocery stores for a whole community?" So Hezekiah is
0: my good brother, and and I, I thank him for that uh, point of awareness. And certainly, it's true. And this is where we have, when I, when I talk about moral leadership, uh, we have to have individuals sitting on that council that will call that out. That is dead wrong. I live in Grand Oaks, right? And when I moved to Grand Oaks, um, you know, certainly there. You know, it was no Harris Teeter. You know, you, you could go all the way to Bilo that was on the 61 side, or you can go to Publix that was uh, on the Savannah, Savannah Highway side, or you can go all the way up to Harris Teeter that was on Sam Rickberg Boulevard. What did they do? They built a Harris, so they, they are building uh, in that community infrastructure and shops and, you know, amenities uh, that would then make it comfortable. I can walk to the Harris Teeter, right? And yeah. many people in my community do. It is dead wrong when individuals live. And I know that stretch, that's not in my district, but certainly right. once I'm elected, the whole county, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the whole county, we're making decisions about. Uh, issues that impact everybody. I'm certainly elected from District Six, but I am sensitive uh, to the entire county, particularly uh, that area and Rivers Avenue, because they look like me. And, and and certainly when we look at communities that are lower income communities that are uh, poor, as we consider, you know, as individuals consider them, that they're not they may be poor economically, but they're not poor, you know, in, you know, as far as their spirit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so, you know, when not putting in those communities. Um, grocery stores and other resources where uh, their lives can, you know, have you ever gone to those corner stores and you're trying to buy things and they have those prices jacked up and and you already have limited funds, you're making minimum wage. And how can you afford any of that? And then you have to take two or three buses, even to get all the way up to the, uh, to the, um, to the, to the, to the Walmart or or you know I guess that's the used to be a red and white over there somewhere but I think even that's gone. And yeah. so somebody has to call that kind of thing on the carpet and demand that those individuals who live in that area, the same way they're doing it in Grand Oaks and in uh, on Beesbury Road, they deserve the same types of a amen- these are people. These are human yeah. beings. And so we should not have difference or, or preference or priority based on where people live, based on uh, their socioeconomic background, based on uh, who they are. We should be fair and we should make certain that every community has those basic necessities.
1: Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. I I, I just think, I, I think it's, it's, it's important that in, this, in these times we have these discussions, Um, you know, a lot of times, I mean, and I think I fall, I, I become guilty of it a lot of times too, is like we get in and we're so happy to talk, but we, we don't actually ask. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do we do like what, what, who, like who has the power to do what? So thank you so much for answering these questions. I think it's really important. Um, we have another one from Dustin Rhodes all the way in uh, Baltimore. Thank you, Baltimore for watching uh, my guy, guy, but he's from here. So he cares about it. Um, he says, Dr. Kylon, he says, what will you do to address the influx of money that Charleston receives, especially from tourism and new developments, but does not distribute to the surrounding
0: communities? Yeah, I I've had that same concern, Dustin, and thank you for raising that because when you look at uh the, the profit margins coming into this city, you know, my church, I work in the city, right? Uh and and when I first came here and you know, there's no real parking and, and parking in the garage each week, I would go broke just having to feed the meters and park in the garage. Right. So I do understand and then they hike. Uh, uh, those prices and extended, you know, the hours so that you're parking until 10 p.m. You have to pay uh, yep. if you're coming down here. So, so I appreciate that question and I recognize uh, the wealth. Of this city and the wealth of this county, because it's not only the city of Charleston, but everything in this region. We have a one Charleston region to include uh, Berkeley, Dorchester, and Charleston counties. And so, when we look at the wealth that you know is generated in this region, now to include the International African, African American Museum, where does that come back to us? Where does that come back to the individual communities? And so again, uh, it's part of my platform to get on county council, to provide the strong moral leadership, to swing uh, the justice Uh, dividend back to the people. Somebody Mm -hmm. has to be fair. Somebody has to, when these issues come up uh, on council and these issues come up in uh, the neighboring municipalities, uh, you need the leaders to be sympathetic to that because guess what? I have been personally impacted by that. I felt that and I still feel it today. And so when we have individuals serving us who have no impact uh, in fact, they too also, you know, seem to get a little bit more uh, as as a result as a result of those deals. I don't know. Somehow, uh, they 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 get some sort of you know they get enriched somehow. And so, uh, you know, so there seems not to be anyone looking out for the little person. And so, it would be me, you know, who would be raising those red flags and reminding, especially as uh, we're looking at areas like tourism, uh, hospitality. Uh, uh, these big, you know, sort of, um, you know, uh, industry in our area, uh, that that there should be a fair um, sort of philanthropy into our communities.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you for and sharing they, that.
0: And they should have to report out, like, yeah. when you go to Walmart, Walmart has, you know, gave back to schools or gave, you know, this amount, gave back to the community, uh, $1 million. When you go in Harris Teeter or go into grocery stores, they have a board up uh, as soon as you walk in, if you pay attention to it, saying how much they have given, you know, to the community, and I'm not talking about just in in goodwill. I'm talking about in in in, in economic enrichment, the yeah. empowerment, you know, through economics. And yeah. so this is how we begin to lift our communities uh, because we're patronizing you. Uh, so we you need we need you to sow back into uh, collectively back into us.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm going to start the wrap, but I wanted to ask you a couple more questions. Um, First question I want to ask you is, what is the biggest difference between you and your opponent in this race?
0: So it's clear I'm a Democrat, you know, I'm a Democrat and my opponent is a Republican. I voted for Joe Biden, Kamala Harris and all of these others who will then kind of move our communities, particularly the black community and all of America. Our country is in a mess. We, we are in a crisis. We have a problem at the top. Republicans are complicit. They are emboldening Donald Trump. My opponent is a Republican who is voting for Donald Trump, Lindsey Graham, and that whole slate. Tell me if you can't <laughs> see a difference. There is a difference. And so, you know, I know you're gonna have him on and that's great, but we ought not be confused uh, based on you know values and and individuals who who share you know I I, you know, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Let me tell you one thing. I know what work means, uh, hard work means in order to you know be upwardly mobile. And I also I'm, I'm a pastor of a historically black church. I recognize struggle, right? And so. There is a clear difference. I'm on the streets when 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 we were demonstrate and are still demonstrating, marching and, and demanding, I'm fighting for 15. Yeah. And so, you know, and he talks about how you know he's you know all the black employees at his uh, business, you know, they're they're making more than the minimum wage. Well, how much are the white employees making? You know, mm-hmm. because I mean, is there still parity or is there equity uh, in that? Because if, even if they make if black employees make a little bit more, I'm I'm gonna check those books because if you're making that kind of broad, bold statement, then I want to see what everybody else is making to make certain that there is, you know, some sort of wage equality uh, Mm -hmm. in in that industry. So to to make that as a point, uh, that doesn't impress me because, you know, we've always, the national index shows that black people get paid less than white people. And so we have to make certain that we have some kind of balance. So there's a clear difference. In the primary, you have two good democratic brothers, uh kind of fighting out for the same seat so it was unfortunate but that's but we lift each other we don't we don't tear each other down i don't right. tear. i'm not tearing down you know the individual who's running against me i'm just saying he is a republican a trumpist and and certainly his values are not our values
1: mm. Mm. okay well i guess you dropped the mic there uh i guess the final question i'll ask you um and you can take this any direction that you want to um make your case let the people know uh if they vote for Dr. Kylon Middleton, the District Six, what are they getting in Dr. Kylon Middleton?
0: So again, this is a consequential election up and down the ballot. I mean, from every office, every level, we need individuals who are progressive in their mindset, who recognize our struggle, who realize uh, what it takes and what it what's necessary in order to lift and advance every community and also the Black community. Black lives do every every life matter. But guess what? Black lives do matter. And we need to come to a recognition. I'll be the first black person to hold this seat in this district uh, since since we went to districting. Uh, It's a democratic seat, but it's not necessarily it's always been held by a majority person. And so this is a consequential election. We we have to look at individuals uh, who have been in our communities fighting and and, uh, and bringing people together. I'm, I'm a bridge builder, a consensus builder. I've worked across um, with Democrats, Republicans, uh, as the chair, as the project leader for the Illumination Project. Uh, when nobody wanted to talk about policing, I was then you know, uh, bridging the gap between, uh, especially the minority community and the police so that we can kind of end those systemic things that we've historically uh, been on the, on the back end of with police. And so a vote for me is a vote for you. A vote for me is a vote for someone who has come from literally nothing and 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 recognizes uh, what it takes in order to move communities forward. I'm ready to get to work. I can't do it without you. I need everybody. I know we have individuals who are who are you know kind of paid off and sold out and they're they're working to try to split and and confuse people. But I'm not confused. Let me tell you one thing. I recognize uh, truth will always stand. And from me, you get transparency. From me, you get honesty and fairness. From me, you get engagement. I'm back here again, Rajan, not because you came tracking me down. I came tracking you down because I knew yeah, that absolutely. your listeners were important. I recognize that this uh, is an opportunity we cannot miss. And we can't take anything for granted. Look, at when when this election is over, I've left everything on the field because I'm giving it everything I have. Now, why am I running so hard? I have uh, I have a church. I have, you know, I've retired fully from another career. But I I believe in public service. And from me, you will get a public servant uh, who is looking out for you. Wow. Wow. November 3rd. Oh, and, and the polls are open now. Oh,
1: I do want to make one more question. I'm sorry. You you dropped you you really mic dropped on that one. And I really want to let you mic drop on that one. But I, I want to ask every single candidate this. Why should people vote?
0: People should vote because let me tell you, th- this country, if you don't vote, we'll we'll have a repeat of this mess that we've had for the last four years. If if we've never known how important uh, voting was Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, but lost in the Electoral College based on uh, the splitting of hairs of, uh, of minute numbers of uh, individuals that then caused uh, part of the Electoral College vote to go uh, per state you know, to the other person. And as a result, we, we have this person that we have now. And so your vote matters. Your vote counts. Some people feel like, "Oh, my vote won't count." Let me tell you, I wouldn't have won the primary if your vote didn't count. I, I you know, the margin was 52%. And so, please, you know, we have to people. We always, and we talk about this in the primary that you know people make the statement that folks died in order for us to have the right to vote. Yes, individuals did die so that we could have the right to vote. But your vote is really uh, a passport to change. If you want things to change in your community, you want things to change in your life, you want your minimum wage to be raised up to $15, you need to get people around the table who's going to make that happen. If we don't vote, we keep electing the same folk who do nothing for us, and we are no better off as a result. They give us crumbs, and we're we're kind of satisfied with that, but we want the whole pie. And so we need to come, uh, go out, plan your vote right now safely, especially during this pandemic, but vote. Uh, because when we vote, you know, we become forces to be reckoned with. So be a force and, yeah. and don't sit on the sideline. Absolutely. There we will mic drop. Let them know where they can find you, if they want
1: to support you, if they want to ask you more questions, how can they reach out to you? They can go to KylonforCouncil.com. This has been an amazing interview. Like, one, your energy. I, lo- I-, I love your energy. Like, I love your – like, you're one of the few people that I'd say probably has as much energy as I do and does as much as I do. So you, sir, are dope. I, I I appreciate you. Um, as always, you know, I I support you, and I, I want I want to see what's best for you. I want to see you win in uh, in November, and I'm pretty sure the guy who's running against you won't like hearing me say that. But he canceled our interview for tomorrow anyway, so I'm not tripping.
0: Oh good. All right.
1: <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I want to thank everybody for watching. You guys have been dope, man. Uh, just so y'all know, me, my music. Let me turn my music up. Yeah. All right. I want to thank everybody for watching this week. Um, reminder that the local celebrity spotlight shines every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. where I interview my local celebrities and unsung heroes. Tomorrow, I am actually, tomorrow, I am actually doing a candidate forum. All right. I'm doing a candidate forum tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Tomorrow from 7 to 10 p.m., there will be candidates with 15-minute slots that will be coming on and talking about their platform. 15 minutes a piece starting at seven all the way until 10 p.m., 15 minute slots. I have uh, this uh, Bobby Joe, uh, Bobby Joe O'Neill, who's coming on. Wait, make sure I get my list, sorry. I don't want I don't miss anybody. It's Bobby Joe O'Neill who's running for uh, Charleston County Coroner. Ben Pogue, who's running for the Ninth Judicial Circuit Solicitor Position. Ralph Prelo who's running for BCSD School Board District 7. Elvin Spates, who's running for Charleston County Constituent School Board District Ten, Courtney Waters, who's running for the C- Charleston County School Board North Area, Erica Coakley, who's running for Charleston County School Board District Ten, Kristen French, who's running for Charleston County um, Charleston School Board uh, North Area. I also have Regina Duggins, and uh, and I just added Francis Baylot, um, Fra- Francis Baylot the Third, who's also running for Charleston County School Board. Listen, listen, we need to hear these people. If you hear, if, if you don't, if you don't get nothing else, if I don't do anything else, I'm gonna make sure you had an opportunity to hear them. I didn't turn anybody away based on party. I didn't turn anybody based on on ideology. I didn't turn anybody away. So if they're on this show, it's because they wanted to be here and they wanted you to hear them because they respect your voice. I'm not voting for anybody that doesn't respect my voice. Period. Period. So I just want to make sure I say that, and I want to. Tomorrow night, please tune in. You want to check that out. If you are doing something in the community that you are like a light shined on, please reach out to me on my website. That's www.realtalkwithrajan.com so we can discuss getting you on the show. This and all my shows, in addition to the Car Chronicle series, is now available for your listening pleasure via Apple, Google, Spotify, and any place you can find podcasts, soon to be Pandora. You can also find it on my website. That's www.realtalkwithrejan.com If you'd like to be made aware of when I go live because sometimes it is unscheduled, Please be sure to click on the follow or subscribe tab and turn on the notifications so that you will know when something new is posted to the page. In the meantime, follow me on YouTube. I usually ask y'all to follow me everywhere else. Just follow me on YouTube because that's where I can make money. And I would appreciate it if y'all would help me make money for doing this because I like doing this a lot. But it's a lot better when I make money for it. Feel free to leave comments, questions, or whatever else you like to say in the comments section or the message section. I love reading your messages and getting your feedback even if it's negative. Even if it's negative, if you watch the show and you're like, yo, I hated what you did today. Let me know why you hated it. I don't want you to tell me how great I am. I only want to become as great as I can possibly become. And that only happens with honest feedback. With that being said, I want to thank y'all. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Thank you, Dr. Kylon Middleton. Again, I wish you all the best of luck. And always remember that God is everything. And without him, we are nothing. So never forget where your help comes from. And if a man doesn't stand for something, he's bound to fall for anything. Now, that is real talk. I will see y'all tomorrow night. Peace.